This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Let me just ask everybody some questions today just to see where you're at. Maybe we're not all in the same place. Maybe you're not where I am. But how many of you wish that today you had more time for yourself? How many of you would say, there's just stuff, man, I wish that I could accomplish this. I I just need some time for myself. I don't have that right now. I see hands going up everywhere. How many of you would say this? I wish I had more time to spend with my family. I wish I had more time to spend with my family. Don't have enough time to spend with my family. My family is a big priority, and I do not have enough time to spend with them. How many of you would say that ultimately I really even wish that I had more time so that I could spend more time with God? How many of you? Well, me and God, uh, were pray- I was praying. And the Lord showed up earlier and he told me that if I asked, we could increase from 24 to 25 hours a day. I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be awesome if you just like flip that switch? It's 25 hours. You know what would happen if there was 25 hours in a day? We still wouldn't have enough time. We still wouldn't have enough time. If all of a sudden I could add three more hours to your productive work day. You want to know something? We could come back in a week later, ask the same question, same hands would go up. You know why? It's not the availability of the resource that leads to its scarcity. It's how we use it. If we had more time, it wouldn't change how we use it. It wouldn't change the way that we navigate decisions. It wouldn't change how when at the beginning of the day I'm in my mind planning out where my time is going to get allocated and put. It wouldn't change that process and because there is more time and that process would not change the problem would remain. And so today we're going to talk about how to increase the margin that is in our schedule. But for many of us, the problem with this conversation is that we're in the middle of a war that we have not identified. We're in the middle of a clash that we have not recognized is happening in our lives. I don't know if you guys ever had a car that was out of alignment. Anybody ever had that happen? Right? The tire gets bumped, something happens, and all of a sudden, the car that was going straight, it's pulling to one side. And what happens when that happens? You have to constantly ride the steering wheel to keep it straight, right? I have to constantly pull against the direction that the car naturally would want to go because I want to go straight, not off alignment. 
the culture that we live in. Just to briefly catch us all up so that we can use that term correctly. Culture just describes a way that people live. It's just a simple term to describe the way that people live. And our culture, the way that people live around us, what is normal for us is out of alignment. It's out of alignment. And our, the cars of our lives are, are pulling a direction. I want you to see this verse. We referenced this last week. It's out of Romans 12. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12, 2. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern that's being displayed in this world. In other words, the culture that you live in, don't let your life become conformed to that. Be different. Swim against the stream. And think about it. What in our culture is normal? Invariably, when I ask someone anymore the question, how are you doing? Because there's three brave souls in the audience today that were willing to say that they had a bad week, right? Just by raising their hands. But most of us in conversation, when someone comes up to you and goes, how you doing? What is the question, the answer to that question for many of us today? I'm good, but I'm busy. Right? Think about it. When was the last time someone said, you know, I'm just bored. <laughs> just, I'm bored. I don't have a whole lot to do. I'm just, you know, have a lot of margin right now. And Really? What? invariably in that conversation with people, I hear the word busy because that's normal in our culture is to be busy. But when we let the world define what is best, we end up with what the world has. And I can tell you that right now, we have, in many of our hearts, redefined God's best for what culture tells us is good. Busy. So let's look at this passion or passage out of Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. Be very careful then. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days 
are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Be very careful. Because we're in a world that is skewed. We're in a car that is out of alignment and it is pulling us in a direction that for many of us has led to a lifestyle that is simply unsustainable. We as a culture have embraced busy far beyond our capacity and it's having its way with us. Be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. You see, it's really important to assess the questions that we're asking in life. Because when we ask the wrong question, you will get the wrong answer. When you ask the wrong question, you will get the wrong answer. And for many of us in life, we're asking the question, could I do this? Could I squeeze this thing into my schedule? Could it, can it work? And when we ask that question, it's not very difficult to land on the answer, yes, we could make this work. Yes, this can fit. See, this principle applies in many areas of our lives. The principle of asking the wrong question affects us morally because when we come up to a situation and we go, is this wrong? If we say no to the question, is it wrong? The implied other answer is that it is right. And there are many things that are not necessarily wrong, but are not right either. And so if we start by asking the wrong question, we will get to the wrong answer. And in our lives... It has a dramatic effect on the way that we project our schedules and our time. One of the three resources that God trusts us with that we don't own. How many of y'all are aware of that? Like, your time isn't yours. There's not a thing that we could do. Right? God, I mean, it is God's from the very beginning. Now, I can be a good steward of it. That's what I'm supposed to be. He's the owner. I'm the steward. We want to follow his will. So the best question to ask really comes out of that passage that we just read. The Bible says, be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. The best question, and this is in your notes, that we could ask is, Is this wise? Is this wise? 
Is it wise to be out six nights a week at three different ball practices? Our family's so stretched that I don't even see my wife because we just see in passing as we're moving kids to this, to this, to this. Is it wise? Is it wise to have a hobby that takes up every spare moment that you have from the time you get home from work until the time that you go to bed? So that the only way that your family, your wife and your kids can be around you is if they come watch you do something. Is it wise? And I'm going to put it for you this way. If you're taking notes, I would, I would kind of expand this question to ask it this way. In light of blank, is this wise? Is it wise to do this? In light of in light of the fact that my wife and kids are literally on earth, the greatest relationships that I'm ever going to have, is it wise for me to be committed to do this? In light of the fact that I want to be a godly example for my child, is it wise for me to? Is it wise? Because we must be very careful. We must be very careful not to live as unwise, but to live as wise. So how do we schedule wisely? How do we create margin? How do we use God's wisdom to create margin in our schedule, how do we schedule wisely? First thing, this is in your notes, is that we must learn to say no to many good things so that we can say yes to the best things. We must learn to say no to many good things so that we can say yes to the best things. Many of you, if I sat down with you right now, could tell me articulately what the priorities in your life are. You would, most of you say, you know what, I'm struggling with it, but Jesus definitely is the greatest priority in my life. And besides that, my spouse, then my kids, and then my family, and then my church, But if we stepped back and looked at your schedule, does it reflect that? Does it reflect that? Does your schedule look like your priorities? Because last week as we looked at the passage of Scripture where Jesus is walking into the home of, of Martha and her sister Mary chooses to sit at Jesus' feet. 
while Martha becomes very busy taking care of the house and putting things in order. At that point, Jesus tells Martha when she becomes upset with Mary. Mary has chosen the best thing and it can't be taken from her. You see, Martha was doing good things. It's not a bad thing to clean your house. All right. Some of us could learn that a little bit more, right? Wives, you can put it, point at your husbands. It's all right. All right. It's not a bad thing. But the best thing in that moment was Jesus. And we have to learn that if we're going to live with margin, we have to learn to say no to many good things so that we can say yes to the best things. Here's why. Good things will quickly become the enemy of best things. Good things will quickly become the enemy of best things. And if we don't live with the wisdom to understand God's will and what is best, we will elevate a good thing to a supreme thing. And if you're going to live that way, if you're going to live a life where you're willing to say no to good things, you're going to look a little awkward because our culture is not familiar with people who are willing to say no. Let me just, I'm just going to stop and give you some things that as a family we've done to make this a, a, a rule in our lives to create margin in our schedule. One of the things that we just immediately when we got married, we accepted this as a rule based on the counsel of a very wise man. We, we initially decided we will not spend more than three nights out a week. We will not, we will not be gone from the home over three nights a week. Now, that's way before kids and all of that kind of stuff. And let me just say that since then, some of y'all know the struggle, and my wife has shared her testimony, but my wife over the past five or six years has struggled with a chronic condition that at times has really affected her quality of life. And there have been some seasons when we've had to say, we can't, we can't do maybe one night a week. Maybe one. And so when our friends or the people that we love, people that we've ministered to would call us and say, hey, can you come over and do this? I'm sorry, I, I can't. I've already got a commitment and that commitment's to my family. Because 
We've learned that there's a rhythm that has to be in place there. There's a certain margin of time that has to be available to make sure that we live together. I have a friend who made this decision and so it forced his family to be at home and he has very talented kids and and, and sometimes his kids would be at ball practice, but they made this rule that they would all be at home. And they, they noticed that there was a common distraction among the family. He has a lot of, has six kids. That's a lot of kids, right? Some, I know some of y'all got four, and it's crazy when I go around. You imagine six, right? Um, so he noticed family, common distraction. We're all at home. But we say that we're doing this because we want to spend time together. We have a priority that our family matters. And so we've made a decision. And he said, you know what? I'm looking around. My kids are over there on their phones, playing Xbox, back in the room, tucked away on the computer. He said, you know what? Not going to vote on this one. We're going to limit the use of technology to three nights a week. Three nights a week. No TV on the other three nights, no cell phones, no laptops, no internet, no games, nothing. Because we made this decision to spend time together. So you know what? We're not going to live with a common distraction. We're going to create even more margin. His kids beat him up, took his cell phone away from him. I'm just kidding. And that's, that's, the, that's the kind of decision that we're, we're talking about here. That we have to say yes to a good thing. Is, a, is Candy Crush a bad thing? For some of y'all, apparently it is. I've never played this game. I'm not going to call names out. I know some of y'all need to go to rehab for it. All right. Is that a bad thing? No, it's not. Is it? Is it a supreme thing? No. Have there been days, let's just be honest, that for those of y'all that play that, have you given it the attention and time of a supreme thing on some days? Unfortunately, probably yes. So we have to learn to say no to many good things so that we can say yes to the best things. Second thing is that busy does not equal productive, important, or meaningful. Busy does not equal productive, important, or meaningful. And I, this is one of the most difficult things to confront in this culture. Because we have embraced busy to equal these things. But in the beginning, God gave us 10 simple commandments. What was one of them? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. In other words, you have six days, I get one of them. You get to do what work six days, but on the seventh day, do just like I did and rest. 
As he, even in the Old Testament, at one point God said to, to the farmers, work the land six years, but on the seventh year, stop. Don't farm the land. Don't gain any produce off of the land. Why? Why? Because God's saying, if you'll give me the six and trust me with all seven, I'll do more in those six than you could ever do in all seven. And so we think that being busy equals being productive. But new studies are showing that we, when we work that kind of a lifestyle where we work every day, nonstop, our productivity begins to tip off. I mean, Jason Fried in the book Rework, which is a phenomenal book that was one of the uh, Inc. Magazine, Forbes Magazine's best business books a year ago. He said, fire the people at your place that are workaholics. If you have a workaholic, fire them. I mean, the our business culture is starting to understand that overly busy people are not productive. So why do we think we always have to be busy doing something? Why? Most of the time it's because we don't feel important. But busy doesn't make you important. Let me just tell you something. You're important not because of what you do, but because of who God says you are. That's what makes you important. What God calls you is what makes you important. Not what we do, but we live in a world that has started to label ourselves because of what we do. I'm important because I'm a teacher and I teach, and that's an important task, and it is. Or I'm important because I'm a doctor and I do this, or I'm in important because I'm a movie star. I'm not a movie star, but if I was, that would be all right. I'm important because of what I do. You even see this trickle down. Remember back to high school and middle school where we defined our importance by what? By the clan and the tribe that we ascribe to. Today you see it in the form of I'm a jock or I'm emo, right? That I'm important because of what I do. I'm not important because of who God says I am. That's where our real importance lies. And the last thing in that one is that we think that busy equals meaningful. I'm going to throw this quote up here. That most of us don't lack meaning in our lives because we're not committed. We don't have meaning in our lives because we're over committed. And our commitments have been stretched a thousand different directions. And because of that, we can't find meaning in something. Just because you could 
doesn't mean you should. Just because you could doesn't mean you should. If we start with the question, can I, could I, we may very well get to the place where we're doing a bunch of stuff that we shouldn't do. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5 to be wise so that we can follow God's will for our lives. The third thing, this is in your notes, that it's difficult for busy people to devote themselves to God. It's difficult for busy people to devote themselves to God. And I'm going to give you two things that I think that for us that we need to intentionally begin to address in our lives. The first one is that we miss intimate times with God. We miss intimate times with God. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6:33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things the rest of this will be given to you as well. Seek first put God first. Let him be the epicenter of your life. Let his will be what propels you forward. And those things that you've been chasing, God through his providence will add in to your life. We miss intimate times with God. And most of us in here that love Jesus would say, you know what, I, I love God. I just, I just have not had that. I, that. That time, the time that it takes to make that happen, I just haven't had that in my life. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed the second thing that we need is we need intentional times of rest we need intentional times of rest we need intentional times of rest this past week I gave you a challenge. Seven days, five minutes a day. How many of you found that to be a whole lot harder than it sounds? Doesn't that just tell you that something's messed up? Five minutes. Five minutes a day. And it's tough to squeeze that out. Really? I mean, because I'm in that boat with you. It's not me standing up. I'm just, I'm like, really? That was that difficult? I mean, how did Wednesday slip by and, and it's 1130 at night and I'm thinking, I got five minutes? What? How did I not? Five minutes. Does that not, it should thoroughly shock you 
that I can't take, I can't squeeze five minutes out of my day to sit in quiet and devote myself to Jesus. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to increase it to 10 this week. I want you to read this. Matthew eleven twenty eight, twenty nine. 28, 29. Three people, y'all raise your hands. Y'all need this one today, all right? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. You need rest. Come to me. And here's why this is so very, very important. Number four, marginless lives demonstrate that we don't trust God. A marginless life demonstrates that God, I know you said you have a plan. I know you told me that you're going to hold it all together. I know that, but you know what, God? I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to do this my way. You know, I know that I probably should be praying and asking if I should be doing all this, but you know what, God? I'm just going to do it anyway. Margin less lives demonstrate that we don't trust God. Why? Because God told us in the very opening statements that he ever made to humanity, you get six days, but I get one. Immediately, God began to create a plan for a time that increased our margin. And you know what? When we're not willing to submit ourselves to that, we're saying, so, God, I don't trust you. That's why this is a big issue. Because we live in a culture that doesn't trust God. That doesn't care about executing and following God's plan for their lives. That's what we live in. That's the kind of world that we live around. And when we go, y'all are doing this, so it looks pretty good to me. I really, I really kind of enjoy the way your family's going. I know you don't love Jesus, but I would like what you have. You know what? We end up following that plan. And when we want what the world has, we get what the world has. And normal is busy burnout. So let's go ahead and pray. Let's go ahead and pray. God, today, for many of us in the room, 
This is a very difficult topic of conversation. Today is a, a time that for many of us, we're sitting here going, God, I don't, I don't know what's good and what's best. I don't, I, have, I don't know how to deal with this because when I think about what my life looks like from the time I get up until the time I go to sleep, all my time is already booked right now, God. But you, would you please remind us that you hold all of this in your hand? And that the best is always going to be you. And so God, let us in this moment choose what is best. With nobody looking around, I want to ask a few questions. And these questions are for everyone. And I just want you to think about these as I ask them. The first question is this. Could you identify with this statement? I follow Jesus and I love him, but I don't have consistent, intimate times with God. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? All around the room. All around the room. What about this? Do you find it difficult to take a time of rest? Do you feel guilty? Do you find it difficult to create that time in your schedule? If that's you, would you raise your hand? I find it difficult to squeeze those moments in. Most of us that raised our hands are living in a way right now that's leaving us feeling overwhelmed. the reason that most of us are living that way right now is because there's a void in our lives and we're trying to fill it with something. There's a void. There's a big hole in our lives and we're trying to fill it with something. The great writer C.S. Lewis said that in the heart of every man, there is a God-shaped hole. And for many of us, we've worked so hard to try to fill a hole that could never be filled with what you've been working towards. It can only be filled with Jesus himself. So today, if that's you, and in this moment, you recognize that you have been working so hard to fill a hole that only Jesus can. And you want him to fill that hole in your life, that void. Would you raise your hand where you're at right now? with a lot of humility that we come before you today. We don't want to assume 
in any way that we've got it right. But what we do want to do is to come to you to rest in your wisdom. For some of us in this room today, God, we recognize in this moment that we feel overwhelmed because we've tried to fill our lives with a thousand things that might be very good, but they're not best. In this moment, God, as we choose what is best, let it never be taken from us. And let us rest in that. This week, God, as we commit to give you not just five minutes, but ten minutes a day, challenge our schedules, God. Push us so that we can live in a way that more accurately reflects the life of Jesus on earth. Because it's in his name that we pray. Amen.